Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Great to have you guys with us this morning as we jump into week three of our series, Empty Promises. And who remembers the book that we're studying? It's an Old Testament book by the name of what? Ecclesiastes, question, if anyone's walking through the airport and you walk by the bookstore and there's the book stand right out there and you see a book titled Ecclesiastes, how many of you are like, oh, that sounds good, I wonder what that's about? Yeah, me either, right? Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book. It comes out of the Old Testament uh, wisdom literature. And who did we learn in week one as the author of Ecclesiastes? Solomon, who was a king of Israel, right? Also, what do we know about Solomon? He was the wisest person next to the Lord Jesus Christ that ever lived. Like, that's not a, an exaggeration. He literally was the wisest man. He was given a gift by God of extreme wisdom. But here's the thing about Ecclesiastes. If you missed the first week of this series, I would encourage you to go to our website, therescuechurch.com, or go to our podcast and listen to it, uh, because I kind of gave a foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes. But uh, just kind of a disclaimer, and I'm going to probably say this almost every week, because if you're like a new Bible student or if you're new to church, as you hear me read verses from the, the, the Word of God out of Ecclesiastes, you're going to think to yourself, wow, this is dark. This is kind of hopeless. This is kind of depressing. Like, do they do this every week in church, talk this hopeless? Um, because Ecclesiastes is a unique book like this. It is a book that studies the meaning of life apart from God. And newsflash, we're going to find it's a very hopeless, dark, meaningless place. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes is wrestling with what I believe is one of the three biggest questions we ever ask as human beings. If you've got your sermon handouts, I would encourage you to get them out and get ready to write. Because I'm going to share just, this is deep. Like, seriously, I'm not joking. The, the, the thing I'm getting ready to open with is a very profound, very deep, very philosophical thing to think about because i'm going to tell you what i believe are three of the most important fundamental questions that we as human beings wrestle with in our life okay the first one if you want to write this down is a question of origin what do we mean by that the question of origin asks simply where did i come from how did i get here how did we get here how did all of this Get here, and, and check this out, guys. This list of these three questions I'm getting ready to share with you, this right here is what sets human beings apart from every other created animal or, or biological being on the planet because I promise you right now, your dog is not at home going, I wonder where I came from. Your, your dog isn't asking these questions. Your goldfish isn't asking this question. We wrestle with this question of origin. Where do we come from? The second one is the one Solomon is really wrestling with in Ecclesiastes. It's a question of meaning. The question asks, what is my purpose in this life? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And the third question is a question of destiny. It's a question of where am I going? What happens to me when this life is over and my physical life is, is done? And we all understand, right? I'm not trying to be discouraging, but the truth is we're all taking another step today. We all got another step closer to our funeral. You get that, right? Like, that's life. What happens when I die? What happens when this world as I know it, my life is over? It's a question of destiny. Now, check it out. We live in a culture that to the two questions, the bookends, 
our culture more and more, this is why I believe Ecclesiastes is such a relevant book to our world today, because our culture today is growing in this idea that we want to, to, to the question of origin, we want to basically say, where did I come from? I came from nothing, I came from nowhere, and I came from no one. We have an entire, you know, study built around it. It's called Darwinism. It's called Marxist evolutionary. I call it a religion because to be honest, to, to really examine that question and go, I believe once upon a time there was nothing and out of that nothing came everything. That's foolishness. And, and I know I'm really simplifying the evolutionary theory, but at the end of the day, I believe that's just as much a religion as Genesis 1-1 that tells the origin story of in the beginning, God, who exists outside of time, space, matter. He created the heavens and the earth. But our culture wants to look at that question and go, you and I, accidentally, with no purpose, we came from nothing, from nowhere, from no one. Once upon a time, something exploded and nothing out of nothing came everything. And to the question of destiny, we want to say, we're going nowhere. When we're dead, it's over. Lights out, there's nothing beyond this life. If that's true, then the, the question Solomon is wrestling with in Ecclesiastes, the question of meaning, it's a very difficult question to answer, right? Because if I came from nowhere, from nothing, from no one, and I'm going to nowhere, to nothing, to no one, what could possibly be my purpose in existence in this life? That's exactly what Solomon is asking in Ecclesiastes. It's an interesting question. And I believe he's got some wisdom that he wants to share with us. We're going to pick up today um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. Last week, we took a little break for Easter. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in week one of this series, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. Solomon writes this. He says, I, the teacher, he refers to himself through the book as the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. Now that phrase under heaven is very similar to the phrase we talked about in week one, the phrase under the sun. That is found like 29 times, I believe, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Guys, for those of you that, that walk away from this going, man, Ecclesiastes is a dark and hopeless book. You have to connect with this context. It's dark and hopeless because Solomon is searching for fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life under the sun, under heaven. And what that means is this is life in our natural world. This is life in that middle question that says there is no supernatural connection here. It's only the natural world that we can see, taste, hold, smell, touch, and measure with our hands. And when we try to find meaning and purpose in this life to the neglect and not having any revelation from the supernatural, it's a very dark, empty, meaningless place. So Solomon is saying, I spent my lifetime pursuing all these different avenues trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And what, by the way, I'll just ruin the story for you. Solomon finds all of these different avenues to be nothing more than empty promises, thus the name of our series. This is the world in which we live right now, guys, as our society becomes increasingly secular, as our society increasingly throws off the restraints that God's word and his morality has sown deep into our hearts. We are becoming this godless, humanist, secularist culture trying to find purpose and meaning in a life removed from God. Verse 13, this is about to get really deep and interesting here. Verse 13, he says, I soon discovered 
that, look at this phrase, that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless. That phrase is used like 38 times in Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless. Like, look at the phrase, chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I'm going to pause here, and I'm just going to play tour guide, if I can, through this little passage of Scripture. I want to point out a couple sites along the way here, okay? The first thing that I find is very interesting, and I was talking with somebody before the service about this very theme. I find this interesting. Did you notice the phrase where he says, God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race? This is not only interesting to me, I find it even a little comical. Essentially, what I think Solomon is doing is he's blaming God for the very hopelessness that he's experiencing in his life, all the while while he's running from God. Do we not do this in our life today? I mean, don't we hear people do this all the time? We blame the very God that we deny his existence, right? We blame God for the problems in my life or the problems in the world, all the while, while I rebel against him, or even worse, deny that he even exists. I one time heard Dr. Frank Turek say this, it's like the cry of the atheist is, there is no God and I hate him. I don't believe in God and I'm really angry at him. There is no God. We came from nowhere, we came from nothing and no one, we're going to nowhere and nothing, but this God who doesn't exist is the cause of all these problems in my life and I'm mad at him. That's an interesting dynamic, is it not? We just came off of Easter. And feel free to speak out if you saw this. I didn't see anywhere on Facebook or anywhere in the world, nobody had billboards up where I was driving around where anybody was denying the existence of the Easter bunny. Did you see that? I didn't. This fictional character, sorry if I'm destroying anybody's belief in Easter, but like this idea of a rabbit that shows up and leaves plastic eggs full of delicious candy behind, like nobody's out there vehemently, passionately, emotionally arguing against the existence of the Easter bunny. Christmas time, we'll see the same thing. There's not going to be anybody passionately waging a war against some fat white guy in a red suit that goes around the world miraculously in one night, slides down every chimney, eats your cookies and your milk, leaves presents for your kids in every time zone, in every country, right? Nobody's out there going, there is no Santa Claus. Again, sorry if I'm destroying your view of Christmas. And yet this God who somehow doesn't exist, we find everywhere we look, more and more in our culture, people passionately blaming this God they don't believe in for either the problems in the world as a, at large or the problems in their life. Interesting. Solomon's blaming the very God he's running from for the problems he's experiencing. Here's another phrase in there. He, he says it's all meaningless like chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. Let's talk about this for just a moment. And feel free to, this is where you can interact. Does anybody collect anything unique? Do you all have any collections of any kind? Feel free to speak up. What do you collect beyond cats? Like that's not, it doesn't count, right? Mary, what do you collect? Twins memorabilia, like the Minnesota twins? I like Mary. All right, I used to collect a lot of that stuff. I collect some Viking stuff. That breaks my heart. We won't talk about that. What do you guys collect? Take a couple more. Anybody do baseball cards? Or did you do baseball cards? Okay, just me. All right. I must be the only collector. What do you guys collect? Lamps. What would you say? Lamps? 
Oh, plants. Okay, interesting. Jack collects guitar picks. That's kind of cool. That's interesting. Have you ever met somebody who collects wind? It's ridiculous, right? Imagine that you have somebody show up, a relative from out of state, and they come to South Dakota, they've never been here, and they look around and go, oh, is it always this windy here? And you're like, yes, it's always this windy. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, just a minute. And they're running around, I got to get some South Dakota wind. I got to get in a, oh, I got it. Look, everybody, I've got South Dakota wind to add to my collection. You're like, no, you don't. You have an empty jar. You don't have South Dakota wind in there. Solomon says that's ridiculous, right? That's honestly kind of silly. Solomon says when we spend our life pursuing things outside of finding purpose and meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like this. Look at all this stuff I have, everybody. Look at my awesome wind collection. Solomon says, no, it's meaningless. It's empty. There's nothing there. And then, here's what he goes on to say in that passage of Scripture we just read, and I think we can agree with Solomon in his wisdom here. He's basically saying, I'm putting, I'm rephrasing it, he's basically saying, life is hard. How many of you agree with Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived? Life is hard. Life's not always easy. And here's how he summarizes the life is hard message. He boils it down to two statements. He basically says, what is wrong cannot be made right. And what is missing cannot be recovered. What is wrong cannot be made right, and what is missing cannot be recovered. Some translations say, instead of what is wrong cannot be made right, some translations read, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is Solomon saying here, guys? He's saying, guys, the world, this is not some fixer-upper planet. This is a total teardown mess of a world in which we live. It's broken beyond repair. Theologians would give a different word if you want to write this down on your notes. Theologians would say he's referring to the fact that we are cursed. And you can write down the, the reference Genesis chapter 3 because in Scripture, Genesis chapter 3 tells us why the world is so broken and why the world is so desperately crooked beyond straightening out and beyond repair. And we won't go look at Genesis 3, but I'll just summarize it very quickly. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God created the world in perfection. Holiness, no sin. He puts all this beautiful stuff into motion. He creates human beings for relationship with him, puts us at the pinnacle of the food chain because there's something uniquely different about us than anything else in all creation. We, we're going to learn in Ecclesiastes, we were created with eternity in our hearts. We were made for eternity. And God gives us this amazing universe to call our home and to live in. And then he gives us one boundary. He gives our original parents one boundary. You have all this freedom, and there's one area I'm saying no to. And the enemy, his, his, his tactics have never changed. He comes along, he, he deceives, he tempts them, he makes them question, did God really say this? What is God actually holding back from you? And Adam and Eve made a choice of the will to rebel against God's authority and from that moment forward, we as human beings have been cursed. All of creation, Scripture tells us, is under a curse. We are cursed and crooked people. Remember in week one, Solomon wrote this. He basically said, generations come and generations go, but nothing ever changes. 
And again, not to throw cold water on the passion of young people in the sound of my voice, but basically to the young generation that's up and coming that you have this idea of, you know what, my parents' generation was screwed up, they're dumb, they don't know how life works, we have the answers, we're going to fix this thing. Solomon says, no, you're not. It's crooked beyond repair, it's broken beyond fixing. You and I cannot fix our broken, sin-cursed condition. Cursed and crooked people can't fix a cursed and crooked world. It's almost as if we need someone to come down from above the sun to come below the sun and deliver us from our cursed, crooked situation. Are we beginning to see the silhouette of Jesus appear in Ecclesiastes? We need a Savior desperately. And then Solomon says what's missing cannot be recovered. Question, honest question, raise your hand. Does anybody here enjoy doing puzzles jigsaw puzzles wow way more than i thought awesome you guys i mean it like i'm with you i like doing puzzles and the rest of you who didn't raise your hand you can make your little jokes like well you're gonna have fun in the nursing home then i like doing puzzles okay i find it soothing to sit down and bring order out of chaos i really mean that like it's fun and relaxing to me to sit down and take all these pieces and put something together that makes sense have you ever tried to put a puzzle together that's missing pieces. Frustrating. We have a member in our family, and I won't throw him under the bus by saying he's my youngest, that anytime we're doing a puzzle, he likes to take a few pieces and hide them. And we know he's hiding them. But as the puzzle becomes closer to being finished, we're like, where's the puzzle pieces? And he's like, I don't have them until it's all done. And then he comes and puts the last few pieces in. And it's getting old, quite honestly. But it's frustrating when you try to put a puzzle together and you're missing pieces, and Solomon is saying here, it's like this. Here's our human condition. It's almost as if deep in our soul, we know that we came from a place where things were not broken, where the puzzle fit together, and there weren't pieces missing. But now we find ourselves in this cursed, crooked, broken world, and there's pieces missing, and we can't, we can't find them, and we chase all kinds of empty stuff, and this doesn't Bring the pieces together. And he says, life's hard, man. Crooked, cursed world. What's missing can't be recovered. I believe we're starting to see the silhouette of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by silhouette. is we, the, Remember week one I said, God doesn't speak at all in Ecclesiastes. We see our need for Jesus by the absence of Jesus. We see Solomon wrestling with this empty, meaningless, hopeless, purposeless life outside of God. And it's as we see Solomon chasing after all these empty promises, we go, wait a minute. What if the way to find hope and meaning and purpose in the middle is by connecting with our supernatural, where we came from, who we came from, and to whom we're going? Let's keep going. A few more verses here. Verse 16, Solomon says, I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them, and I'm humble too. I love that. Like I always say, it's not bragging if it's true, right? Like when I'm bragging, that's my statement. I was like, it's not bragging if it's the truth. I don't know if he's bragging or if he's just simply making a statement of fact. Like I am the wisest guy that's ever lived. But look at this. He says, so I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. We could go down that rabbit hole, and I'm not going to today because we're going to get to that in the weeks to come. What does he mean? Like he chased after wisdom. We'll find out he means like the highbrow 
elite Harvard educated of the day, goes to opera, understands what's happening, wears a tuxedo, drives a German car, drinks wine with his pinky out. He, he went down that road and found emptiness. We're going to find he went down the road of madness and folly, which is partying, and it's more of the Walmart scene than that scene. And we're going to find out, he says, that's empty too. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. Listen to what he says. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Huh. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. What is Solomon saying? Let's say it a different way. Solomon is saying, the more I learned, the more I knew, the more hopeless it became. I don't, think, I don't think we realize in our culture today the monumental shift that's taking place right under our nose in this, what we call the information age. How information has just rapidly like, become available at the snap of a finger, right at our fingertips. We can take these little black boxes, these little Google devices, and we can get information about anything at any time from anywhere. And here's the thing, as our access to information around the clock at high speeds now in 5g and someday we'll look back on that in like two months and go do you remember when it was 5g we're like at 10g now right um as that access to information is on the rise have you noticed that correlated right alongside of it is a rise of what our stress and our depression is solomon telling the truth here the more i know the more depressed and stressed i become Maybe right there, just a little side note here, maybe that's why y'all don't need like a constant stream of CNN and Fox News in your house, amen? Maybe talk radio isn't as helpful as we thought it was at one time because the more information I have and as people can be right on the scene of chaos and carnage and tragedy, streaming it live to social media with their little media devices in their pockets, Every time I look at it, someone's getting shot, someone's dying, some pol uh, politician is more corrupt than we thought was even possible, and it's just bad news. And Solomon says, the more I know, the more hopeless it becomes. I tried going down the road of wisdom, and the more I learned, the more I recognized how desperately hopeless our world is. The more information I had, the more I had to fear, the more I had to grieve, the more sorrow I had to deal with. Let's pray and go home. Amen. No, some of you guys are like, John, this is horrible. Why are we going through this book? It's so depressing. Is there any good news here, church? Yes and no. It all comes down to this one huge word. The word is perspective. And I'll explain what I mean, because if your perspective is that of Solomon's, where he spent most of his life in that middle ground trying to find meaning and purpose outside of God, there's not a lot of good news. And he tells us that again and again and again. Meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's empty. Vanity. But here's the perspective. When we see it through the lens of the creator, the perspective completely changes. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Raise your hand again. How many of you know what I mean when I talk about counted cross-stitch? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a dying art, right? Like, say, four of you know... I. I don't do counted cross-stitch, okay? Just so you know, love puzzles, don't do counted cross-stitch. How about like, okay, a weaver's loom? You know, like when, when a weaver is, is making a rug or some kind of intricate design or pattern or picture, weaving all kinds of different colors of 
thread together, whatnot, right? There's two different perspectives. Are you following me? If you were to crawl under the loom and look up from our human perspective, from Solomon's perspective, and all we can see is the backside of the loom, then here's, here's the, the view from below the loom. It's a chaotic, hopeless, tangled mess of knots and threads and disorder, and there's really nothing pretty, and there's really no design, and there's no pattern emerging. It just looks like a big mess. But if we can look at that same object from the other side, if we can see it from the lens of the Creator, all of a sudden we begin to see a picture emerging, a pattern. We begin to see a beautiful tapestry coming together with a view that we could not see from the other side. We start to realize, well, wait a minute, there's actually a lot of intentionality and design and purpose and things are happening for reasons and there's certain threads that need to be here at this time and when we're on the bottom side of the loom, we miss that perspective. Does that make sense? Is there good news to be found in Ecclesiastes? The answer is absolutely when we have the right perspective. And and here's the crossroads where we find ourselves today, church. We're at a place right now where we have to make a decision. Are we going to follow Solomon's example or his advice? That's a really good dichotomy. Like That hit me this morning as I was practicing this. Let me unpack this. First of all, here's a summary of where we're at today. If you want to write this down on your notes, sometimes I get so caught up I forget to give you blank filler outers the last couple slides, and then I get scolded for it. So here's the summary. I will never find my purpose in this life apart from God. When I choose to follow Solomon's example, what I will do, what you will do, is we will spend our life chasing empty promises. The example of Solomon is give your life to more sexual partners, to bigger houses, to nicer chariots, to bigger social calendars, bigger parties, more money. That's his example. And what you're going to find is it's empty and it's meaningless. What Solomon is kind of telling us in his book, Ecclesiastes, he's basically saying, which isn't really a good parenting principle, but what he's really saying is, do as I say, not as I did. Actually, that's okay to say, do as I say, not as I did. It's not okay to say, do as I say, not as I do, right? Because at least when you say, not as I did, you're teaching out of your weakness and out of your mistakes. That's fair, right? It's hypocritical when I say, do as I say, not as I do question, are you going to follow Solomon's example or are you going to follow his advice? His advice is, hey gang, I had way more resources than you will ever have to pursue a life outside of God. I had the coolest Harleys. I had the coolest vacations. My yacht was better than anything you'll ever set foot on. I I had more women than you could ever imagine or dream or ask of. Um, I had way more resources to pursue the meaninglessness of this life. And my advice is don't follow my example. My advice is, and we're going to hear him get to it, that apart from God, there is no purpose and meaning in life. The conclusion of the matter, Solomon's going to tell us at the end of the book, sorry to destroy the the ending for you, but you got to know. He's going to tell us the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and to obey his commandments. And that's where we're going. We're getting there. I got two more quick verses I want to share. One I shared in week one, and this is so good. Quick little context. In the day of Solomon, there was a character we find in Scripture. She was a queen of Sheba. And she came from a long distance to hear and see for herself if all this stuff she'd been hearing about Solomon was actually true. 
Is he really this wealthy? Is he really that wise? Does he really have 700 wives and 300 concubines? Like, is this stuff for real? And she came, and she spent some time with him, and she walked away even more impressed than what she had heard about him. She's like, wow, like this is legit. Fast forward a few thousand years later, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, is speaking to a bunch of religious leaders. I find that very ironic. He's speaking to some religious people, and this is what he says to them. The queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. Why? For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now listen to this, church. Jesus said, now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. You get what he's saying? Back in the Old Testament, someone came from a long way away to learn and glean from the wisdom of Solomon. Someone greater than Solomon is standing right in front of you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're not listening to me. That's what he had to say to some religious people about 2019 years ago. I wonder what Jesus would say to the men and women of the rescue church today. Someone greater than Solomon is here. Someone from whom you came and to whom you are going to stand in front of at the end of your life, greater than Solomon is here right now, calling out to you, offering you the forgiveness of your sin, offering you a life of meaning and purpose and hope, and you have a decision to make. Are you going to accept me and follow me and yield your life to me, or are you going to try and find your hope and meaning and purpose in something other than me? That's your decision. You get to make. And the thing about our God is he's amazing in that he will honor the free will he's given you. You can choose him or you can reject him. One more quick verse. This one is fresh off the, the hot off the press this morning, right out of the oven. This came right out of my quiet time with Jesus this morning. So it's not on the screen back there. Don't freak out, team, in the back. This is, I just typed it into my notes this morning. I'm reading through the, the book of Acts. I read through the Bible every year, and I'm in the New Testament right now. And uh, the story is in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are talking to a group of pagans. And I don't mean that word in, insulting, like these people literally did not know Jesus, did not worship Jesus. And um, they recognize something very supernatural about Paul and Barnabas. So this group of people who did not know or follow or love Jesus wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas and offer sacrifices to them. And so they're, they're getting the bulls out of the barn and they're getting ready to, you know, have a barbecue. And Paul and Barnabas are like, stop, stop, stop. Don't worship us. We are just human beings like the rest of you, right? But then Paul said to this group, and this, these pages just jumped off of the Bible at me this morning in light of this series that we're in. Paul said to them, turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn from these worthless things to the living God. I think that is God's word to his church today where he is saying, hey, rescue church, turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. I'm speaking to some men and women here today who do not know Jesus and you're pursuing an empty life full of worthless things. The truth is, I'm probably speaking to some Christians here today that have surrendered their life to Jesus, and it's so easy to get sucked over into that ditch where although I claim I know and love Jesus, I'm actually not pursuing him. I'm pursuing worthless things. I'm giving my life to so much that does not matter. And I believe the word of the Lord to this church this morning is turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. I wonder today, as we bow our heads and get ready to close in a word of prayer, what is the Lord speaking to your life today? Who needs to turn from the worthless, empty, hopeless, dark, meaningless life you've been pursuing?
and find true life and hope and forgiveness and meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. Whether that's for the first time in your life that you bow your knee before him and say, Jesus, I need a savior. Today I'm calling upon you to come into my life and be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Or whether that's some Christians in the sound of my voice in repentance saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Man, the lights of this world, the bright lights, the sounds, the flashy things, sometimes they suck me in. Sometimes I think that's going to make me happy and bring meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Lord, forgive me for trying to find my meaning in this life and purpose outside of who you are. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that you've given to us, and I thank you for this amazing wisdom that comes from a man who spent a life pursuing everything but you only in his wisdom to come to the end of his life and look back and go, man, it was like chasing after the wind. It's as empty as my wind collection on the shelf. Lord Jesus, I cannot see the hearts in this place, but I know in this moment right now, Holy Spirit, you are here. You see every single heart. You know every single detail. Nothing is hidden from your sight. I pray that where there is someone in need of salvation, that today in this moment right now, they would be calling upon the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. Lord, give them the courage to reach out too and say, hey, I made that decision today. That was my decision to accept Christ as my Savior. Lord, as your church, we come before you today. If we're honest, just in humble repentance, we would say there's so many times we chase after the meaningless, empty things of this life. God, forgive us. Help us to see the perspective that you have that we will only find hope and meaning and purpose in this life when we know you, when we're walking with you. And at that point, everything is clear. And we see there's so much joy and purpose and meaning to every day. Even the most mundane parts of our life, we can find incredible purpose in and incredible joy because of who you are, Jesus, and because of what you've done for us. God, I pray you just work powerfully in the hearts of your people long after we walk out of the doors of this place today. We love you. We worship you. We surrender to you, Jesus, as the Lord and the leader of our church and of our lives. It's in your precious, powerful, and holy name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv. 